there, folks. My name is Emily. And I'm Elk. And we are Oh My Word, a podcast where we discuss the content of movies, musicals, TV shows, and books in an effort to help you be a more informed consumer and also to promote, ultimately, clean and age-appropriate content. Exactly. And then we put on all of our special equipment, and we very, very carefully take that content and weigh it on the mighty, mighty scales of the pearl-clutching scales Please, someone add thunderous, booming Ooh. voice here. Yeah, there we go. Well, that's good enough. That's, uh, I think that, that fully conveys the, the might and the awe of our pearl clutching scales. For violence, language, and romance, scale of zero to four. Zero being great. None of this. Void of empty. And four being holy canasta. There's too much of this. Let's, oh, good. Oh, dearie me, goodness. And then we say, oh, my word. There's too much of it. Which is how we got our very cleverly named podcast but uh holy canasta okay i have to admit where i got it from i okay I, please I started do. i adopted the expression i mean it's not a new expression i don't think and i love it's just there's something about it that's so funny canasta is a card game right that uh, right so there's a company that's called better world books and they're they're a used bookseller and they use their proceeds go to providing books i don't know if it's certain certain countries or low-income places but so it's kind of like a charity kind of place, right? They're like a, uh, I don't know if they're officially a nonprofit. Most of their drop boxes, I think, are on the East Coast. So anybody who lives on the East Coast, you want to get rid of books, you can look up for where the drop boxes are. Then they have one that, on the West Coast and like a few in the middle. It seems like right now they're predominantly there. Or you can like, I think you could hook up a library or, or a location to get it. I don't, I don't know the details of it. I was once mm. just kind of looking at the map of it. So when you buy a book from them, which I do usually try to buy from the, from the main from either, well, Barnes and Noble or a bookstore or something like that. You know, you want to support it. I try not to buy from Amazon so much just because there's such a behemoth of, uh, they just own like the whole market. But <laughs> And not as good for writers, haven't you said that? Yes, they're not right. as good for writers. And I just, uh, the whole, whatever, there's a whole thing going on with Brandon Sanders and whatever, but he, he did this whole Kickstarter campaign that's getting a lot of attention because he raised like 30 million for these books that he wrote in secret. Because it's a very interesting conversation that's going on. Huh. And what he's saying about it, like, I'm not ditching my regular publishers, but this is just something I felt to do like this. And there's going to be different tiers of do you want to buy the regular book? Do you want a book that comes with all the formats, you know, or the prizes that come along with it? And um, he's also, he was also a very big name, Brandon Sanderson. So, and he also has much more of an infrastructure to be able to go through with what he's planning to do. A lot of authors can't just magically just start setting up packages, you know, especially right. with the audience, the size of the audience that he has. So the point is, but every once in a while I do end up, I get, I'll get a book from a, from a used bookstore. Sometimes if I'm not sure about, you know, I don't know if I like this sort of thing. And if I'll buy it from a regular bookstore, I'll probably end up returning it. But if I'm just sort of giving something a chance or I can't find it in print, then I'll go look at the used bookstores. I spoke to once a used bookstore seller. She said, sometimes that's an opening, you know, for chart, for finding new authors. Cause People might not want to pay the $18.99 up front, but they'll try out the author. Oh, I really like them. Okay, now I'll go buy the rest of the books that are coming out now. That makes sense. Well, yeah. I don't mean, I'm not trying to make this a whole defense kind of thing. But the point is, the Better yes. World Books, when you buy a book from them, after the order goes through, they'll send you an email. And it starts with, holy canasta, you chose me, you chose me. Uh, and it's a really, really cute email about how the book is so happy to get off the shelf now. Because on the one side, there's the whiskey book that never can't that can't stay on the shelf. And like another one about something physics. It's a very, whoever wrote the email, it's clever and it's adorable and it's so much fun. I saw it and it kind of, it sunk into the brain. I was like, so I'm giving credit now. I'll give credit where credit's due. But I realized that that very expression nice. is just so funny. <laughs> Canasta is a good word. 
Yeah. You don't hear Gosselin. Well, I used to use cannoli. So, you know, it used to be a holy cannoli. And then I saw holy canasta. Right. And I'm like, I like holy canasta. So, you know, we can, it's yeah. we're interchangeable depending if we're moved for a game or for food, you know? Right. What is holy to you on that particular day? Exactly. Yeah. That's not a segue at all to what we're talking about today. No, but it is fascinating. <laughs> and when you say something like holy canasta, we can't just let that go. We have to delve into it. Look, here's the thing with segues. They're not my thing, but I'm going to go from delving into what you said to delving into history a little bit oh. on our most recent offering here on Oh My Word. We've talked about historical fiction. Alt especially loves historical fiction. Actually, I do too. I just haven't read as much recently as I did when I was younger. But historical fiction in the young adult space, which growing up, I read a ton of of historical fiction, like from probably the age of nine to like 14 or 15. That was my favorite genre. But then it seemed to peter out, seemed to peter out. Maybe it's not as hard to find. Maybe I just wasn't looking for it as much, but so much is just like romance or contemporary fiction. But what we're about to talk about is historical fiction. And the cool thing about it, I think, is that it's historical fiction about an era we read a lot about, World War II, but a topic of World War II that is way less covered than the Holocaust or England or even the Eastern Front of the war. So anyway, we're talking about Ashes in the Snow, which is a movie. It's based on Between Shades of Grey by Ruta Sepetis. I actually have no idea how to pronounce her name. Is she Lithuanian? I believe she's Lithuanian because she has a book, Salt to Sea. It's part of why she writes, she's one of the only authors in Young Adult right now that write historical fiction, and her books are just big sellers every time. Really? Yeah, which is just part of the thing of stop not publishing historical fiction. So it wasn't just you that you couldn't find it anymore, it's because they're not publishing it as much anymore. Which Interesting. You spoiled it before, it's a great travesty. But she writes all of, most of her books that are out now. Well, yeah, she has one that takes place in New Orleans. The rest of them are taking take place in Europe under communist dictatorships. Interesting. Yeah, between shades of gray, she's got she's got salt to sea. She's got fountains of silence, which it takes place in Spain by that country's mm. civil war around that, you know. And then mm-hmm. her latest book is We Must Betray You. Oh no, I Must Betray You. I Must Betray You, which takes place in Romania during the fall of communism 1980s and it's basically about how everybody was spying on everybody else because that was the way that you got by in Romania right and there were no choices there was no food options there was no this option no that option she really shows a lot about what communism looked like and it should horrify people especially the people who think that socialism is not the uh, Siamese twin of communism right we're talking about both the movie and the book I've only seen the movie Elt has also read the book but our, we're giving our ratings for the movie, which is called Ashes in the Snow. Violence is a three, language is a zero, and romance is a one. So language is a zero. That one's easy. They kept it clean. Romance is a one because there's a little thing going on between the main character, Mina, and this boy, Andreas. But it's not really the central focus. I think they do kiss once, however. And then violence is a three because it does show the story is it's at 1941. Mina, who's a 16 year old aspiring artist and her family 
are deported to Siberia amidst Stalin's brutal dismantling of the Baltic region. So we see them in a work camp and we see the Russian soldiers being violent. We see several people shot directly in the back of the head, execution style. I actually wonder, maybe we do need to bump the romance up though, because if nudity is under our romance scale, because there's a scene where the women have to, and the men are forced to wash themselves before they enter the work camp, and they're naked oh, that's a good on point. screen. We see full, we see the full back. We don't see fronts. No, that's not true. We, we see, see upper fronts. You're right. But we don't I, see bottom fronts. Yeah, I was thinking of it because there's like an attempted rape, and I was like, we can't put that on a romance because that's violence. It's not romance. Right, no, that's that's for sure violence. Yeah, you're and right. You, the nudity should bump up the romance. So what should we bump it up to then? This is happening in real time now. Yeah, can you guys hear the whirs and bangs of yeah. the pearl clutching scale in the background? I don't know. I hesitate to bump it all the way up to a three because it's visceral, but three seems maybe a two, maybe 2.5. For sure, 2.5. I don't think we can make it less than a 2.5. Because it is full yeah, nudity. So it, well, almost yeah. full nudity. We should just comment, even though we didn't fully comment here, because this is good for for people to see how this goes. You do have the nudity here, and it is in context. It's not a gratuitous... Well, okay, it's not a gratuitous uh, romance nudity. But right. I, for me personally, I still draw... I personally draw the, a hard line with this stuff because you could have shown us false nudes and we would have gotten the message. The, none of the men are showed... I think they show one kid without his shirt on. All the guys still have their shirts on, and it's only the women that they show stripped down. Part of it is how they were dehumanized. But at the right. end of the day, a director told a woman to take her shirt off. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's different when it's a documentary and you're not going to start blurring parts of a documentary that this has to be seen to know what actually happened. Right. No one told someone to take a shirt off in, in the context of now when it didn't have to happen. You know, so that's why for me, even though the nudity is it is in context, that it's not a romance nudity. For me, it's still a high score and something that I would still give a... Uh, a warning about, I guess you could say, because it didn't, you could have done it without it, and the message still would have been very uh, clear. Because even like Lena totally covered herself, right? She crossed her arms over herself. So maybe not not everybody would have done that, but you could do a false nude and we would have totally understood, I think, the dehumanization. But uh, absolutely. No, that was the one part for me that I was taken aback by knowing that it was not a documentary and also that it's for young adult thinking. You, the point definitely was gotten across without actually seeing people. I mean, it it does add to the realness, but in a way it almost attracts from it because you know they're actors and not really yeah. having it done to them. So so yeah, I think a, a 2.5. So that's where the, the nudity comes in. It's not a... Yeah. Well, I wonder if this was shot... It probably, they probably filmed in Europe or somewhere. Where they the did. regard I for nudity, all... nudity would be a little bit different. And it was also kind of interesting where I kept saying it is... How could there be no bad language, like when they did nudity? But it's a totally. Uh, it also just shows what the approach was. It's different because the one time we have someone like cursing at another person, he just tells them like you know he calls them a pig or something, which was not considered a good thing, and it's definitely said in anger and whatever. But calling someone a pig doesn't seem as bad as a woman taking her shirt off. So right, I do think that it wasn't. That's why again, I don't think it was necessarily just gratuitous, and definitely the European mindset would have affected. I'm like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. we have to do this. So, you know, maybe they didn't necessarily think twice about it. But yeah, these are, this is what we do. This is what our scales are for. 
And that's why we have the episodes. You can go, you know, on Instagram and see the numbers, but then you listen to us to see the specifics of why we give our ratings as they are. And then, yes, as for violence, as we said, there's the horrors of the work camp and the brutalization and the people being shot. And then there's also one and a half attempted rapes. Oh, yeah. And then uh, someone commits suicide. So it is pretty violent, but in a contextual sense, her purpose was to show the horrors of communism, which I think the movie does pretty well. I don't know from the book's perspective how well that went, but I thought the movie did a pretty good job. It is a Lithuanian film. Right. Very few of the actors are Lithuanian. I looked them up. They're yeah, the all European. They're all European. Yeah, but that's what the accents. I kept saying, like, is it? Do they actually sound like this when they speak English? I don't think that's what they sound like when they speak English. I'm just glad they didn't have English accents because so often when you see a film that's set anywhere that's not the U.S., you know, it's just vaguely in Europe, they give them English accents. But just to counter that, having been in Europe back, you know, back in my youth when I was in Europe. The English that the Europeans learn is British English. So they learn it with a mm. British English accent. So it's, they'll have their country's okay. accent over the British English. So they're not, they may or may not speak a clear British English, but it's with their accent. So if you, if you hear someone who their first language is in English and you hear them speaking American English, it's going to be American English with their native accent, whatever it is, you know, if it's Spanish or, or if it's Russian or anything like that, hmm. they're going to pronounce like an American, but with their accent overlaying that. So when you are in Europe, it's going to be their accent overlaying the British English accent. It took me, when I was there and I, and I kind of, it took me a minute to be like, why is everyone here speaking with a British accent? It, and sometimes, you know, when they do it in ancient Rome, you're like, sorry, Britain didn't exist yet. Like there is no British yes. accent in Rome. Okay. <laughs> yes. But so that was something I would counter that. And I could, I don't know. I was kind of ambivalent. Like on the one end, you're like, I understand why everyone's speaking English with an accent right now, because they're Lithuanians and you did it in English, so you wouldn't have the subtitles, you know, and you opened up the market for it, whatever. But at the same time, I'm like, this sounds, or is this a real accent? I kept wondering, like, is this a real accent? Mm. I have no idea if this is a real accent right now. But I, like I said, it it shows an era of World War II that we don't normally, or a an aspect of World War II that we don't normally get to see, that there was stuff going on in other places than just Germany and England, which is what we see most often. Especially because Stalin killed way more people, like single-handedly oversaw the deaths of way... They're both horrifying. Both both aspects are are absolutely horrifying. But because, you know, we chose to fight Hitler before Stalin, the horrors of what Stalin was doing kind of got shoved to the side because we decided, oh, he's a later enemy to deal with instead of Hitler being the immediate enemy to deal with. And both of them were responsible for, for the deaths of... It's an astronomical number. You can't even get your mind around the millions that they were responsible for. And also a yes. different kind of genocide of the, you know, the, the countries that the Russians saw as inferior to them. It's right. It's insanity. It's and it, that's why I was, I'm glad that they're publishing her work, and I'm glad that this she's writing about these things. I don't know if people fully yeah. understand, and I'll say people, but I, I hope teens and the younger readers are are, you know, fully understand what's what's being told to them about how terrible, and they don't just think like, oh, it's just so far in the past and it's so irrelevant because it's. Not you have countries that are still trying to climb out of it, you know, because yeah. the fall of communism only happened kind of in the 80s, but it didn't mean that everyone magically just became, you know, right, a country after that. They're oligarchies. There are places that have just a different form of socialism uh, controlling them. So, 
you know, I really hope that they got that. But it's just, when you're actually going to watch it to just pay attention to what's being shown, it's, they said, I think they were part of the commentary that they, you know, they give you like tidbits about the film is that this is like one of the highest mm-hmm. grossing films in, in Lithuania or something like that. Like it beat out like, I don't, like, I don't remember what are the titles it gave, but like you be, it beat out that. <laughs> wow. Interesting. And it's, yeah, it's just because you could, anybody who's watching it, so many of them could have actually lived through this. They had, I think, one mm-hmm. scene where they actually had people who had been shipped to Siberia before. They had, they were part of the scene of, of one of the train scenes or something. Really? So, yeah. So you can imagine. And also, you have that one part of the, in the film or in the, well, book film where like, oh, you're being shipped off to the, Ar- the Arctic. And you're just like, what? And you see, and you're like, good God, how is anyone supposed to live through this? And right. they had no intention of anyone living through it. Right. I should notice all they they changed the name from Fifty Shades Between Shades of Grey to Ashes in the Snow because you know twenty eighteen or you think even that was when the film came out the book came out before that of course and uh, Fifty Shades of Grey was a big deal then so they didn't want anyone mixing up the titles so and they figured Ashes in the Snow definitely correctly portrayed. I think that was a smart move. If I had if you had told me to watch um, go watch Between. Shades of Grey, I would have been confused as to what you were asking me to watch. Right, right, yeah. I think for the most part, so the film doesn't do have, you know, as usual, it doesn't have everything the book has. The ending seems a little bit more inconclusive almost than, the ending was a little bit different than the book's ending. I went mm-hmm. back to the book. The ratings are actually pretty similar though, so that's that's for sure. Um, I don't remember if attempted rape happens or not because everything is told from Lena's point of view in the mm-hmm. book, I believe, so she wouldn't have seen Right, so I didn't think she would have seen between other characters. So that's why also it's kind of interesting that um, Kretzky's character, so here they made him half Ukrainian. I think in the book he's Mm -hmm. actually half Polish. That was also considered, yeah, still a subspecies to the Russians, right? Right. As far as they're concerned. Right. So Kretzky in a way, especially in the, they never fully explain what he's doing there. As in like, how does a guy like this, who's not so cool and you see him much more in the film, Right, you, he does. He looks like a sort of a decent man. So how did he end up in the army? They don't. They don't tell us that much. Like, if no. he's is he drafted? Like, does he have to be there? Did he choose to be there because he fell on you know hard times? Did something happen? So that's. But it is a much. It's a little bit more of a curious story. Or okay, it's probably it's just a different story. It's a much darker story. Of how did a guy go from being a decent guy to being kind of what he's you know his commander is trying to push him into like a heartless, you know, prove. Prove that you're not half you like, prove you're Russian, right? Don't and apparently in the commander's mind it's like, well, you gotta shoot the person in the head. Why would you not shoot the person in the head? And he doesn't want to do it. But the commander says, you gotta do it, that or whatever. And how he eventually just becomes so disgusted with his own self, with the person he became. We don't we don't know what kind of choices he has or doesn't have. You know? Yeah. And again, you can say, Oh, you have to stand up for it. Well, that's easy for you to say. You're not part of the communist a communist army right now, okay? Do you not do you not hear how we're just talking about what Stalin just did to millions of his own people, you know? That for me was actually interesting. Yeah, no, I I think they made his his character compelling and they made when when you watch a movie like this or read a book like that, you do put yourself in that pl- the place of different characters and you have to wonder, because that's just human nature, like how would I respond? Would I be like Lena and her mom, who become like sort of stronger people, they fall into leadership roles. Or would you become like the woman who, when she's accused of stealing beats, which she did actually do, then turns on Lena? Right. Right. Or, or like Kretzky, who starts out as a pretty decent person and then is 
probably troubled by the fact that he has to do all these things. So then he sort of leans into it and becomes a person that he ends up hating. Well, that's why, uh, shoot, I don't remember who it is, but someone, as soon as I'm going to say this, is like, oh yeah, that's this guy. Uh, who said everyone thinks that if they would have lived in in Germany during World War II, like they would have been part of the resistance. But it's not true. Mm. Statistically, you probably would have been a Nazi. Right. right. Which people don't want to hear that because it's a horrifying thought. We'd like to think that most people don't don't want that to be true. But it's much easier to talk about these things than if someone actually has to live through them. Right. It's still so real and immediate for so many people. I mean, mm-hmm. Venezuela. You know, what do you think is going on in Venezuela when they say they don't have drinking water, they're eating dogs, or they don't even have a dog to eat? You know, what's right. going on in Cuba or any of these countries? <sighs> Amer- Americans. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. That's why I like that it was Lithuania because, again, we think of Germany, we think of England because we have all those World War II books where it's an English woman and we see the back of her and she's going right. to feel right. like yeah, we've talked right. about. But there were so many other countries. So you might get Poland. That might be like the one other one that you hear something. But there's so many countries and so many people that were dealing with it in different ways. And I wish I knew more about, what's her name? Ruta? Right? The yeah. author? Yeah. Like maybe her, maybe her grandparents, you know, maybe her parents. I mean, it's very likely that she has someone in her family. Just like here, you know, if you talk to enough people, you'll, you know, someone's grandparent or maybe now great grandparent, they served in World War II. You know, it touched everyone, but in, in a different way in different countries than we realize. And if we're, as you've mentioned before, the point of literature, the point of movies is to open us up to different experiences and to see what other people live like and what they've been through. And I think this does it in a way that's different from a lot of other books we see. Yeah, absolutely. I would definitely recommend reading this author's books just as a general mm-hmm. thing and just also because of the door of history that it opens and the different countries that we get to learn about. I did have one more thought and the whole thing that goes on with Kretzky. So the rest of the soldiers give him a hard time because he's half Ukrainian. Right. I thought that was also a nice reminder that what we in the United States sometimes very narrowly think of as race and bigotry you know, we basically, for some reason, it's become white people versus dark-skinned people. But in fact, race and bigotry don't know any boundaries. And that depending upon where you are, it's going to look different. So for Kretzky, it's Russian versus Ukrainian. They look the same. I mean, to us, would we know that Kretzky wasn't just Russian? Right. You know, we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't know the difference, but the Russians knew, you know, and they gave him a hard time for it. And of course, the they all look down on the Lithuanians that they're treating like less than animals. And I think that also being in a young adult book is eye-opening and worth thinking about. Right. You know, that's, I think we mentioned before, like you have the relationships between Japan and China. Like right. we're not exactly happy, merry go lucky. And well, they're both East Asian. You know, why were they not? Whatever, because they're two different countries. They're not the same place. I actually remember what I was going to say. The general comment on the story is that, so definitely the book, you'll have more detail and more whatever it seems, because the film also is under two hours. So they kept the story, mm-hmm. um, they cut out a lot, they're always going to cut out a lot of the story, but they cut out a lot of the extra parts of the story that sort of help um, with certain kind of character development, I think. And because mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily what they're trying to show, it was more about just like see what's happening, you know, and see see what they went through sort of thing. That's what it seemed like to me. So, for example, you have, like, Lena, she's got a love interest, and they just kind of look at each other, and then, like, have a visit with each other, and then they're kissing each other. And it's like, 
Okay? Mm-hmm. I guess they love each other because this is the love interest, so that's why there's love between them. So, of course, in the book, it goes, you, you have more scenes about what's, like, what's going on between them, or even about where does he magically get food from, or where, you know, kind of what they really had to do. It also gives much more about what they had to do to survive. You get a little bit more mm-hmm. about that in the book. But, so that's why part of the film also just felt like it was just, move along, move along, move along, which, yes, you want the story to have good pace to but part of that move along, move along is that it dropped certain details. Usually I don't mind that, you know, that book and film are, are different. And here I don't necessarily mm-hmm. mind either, but it did, it did simplify. That's what I'm looking for. It simplified certain parts of the story, of gotcha. the personal story to show the overall story mm-hmm. of what occurred to, to how they uprooted these communities and, and people and what they did to them. It's not anything. It's just, it's just a comment. Then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you remembered what you wanted to say. Yeah, so that's Ashes in the Snow. Where did we watch it? We watched it on IMDb TV, so it's actually free to watch if you're so inclined. Right. I enjoyed it. It was sad. We don't talk about a lot of sad things on here. A lot of the stuff we talk about is like teen romance. It seems to be a little bit more upbeat, but this one, I definitely had tears and was emotional at different parts of it. Well, we know I'm a cold hard person, so. <laughs> yeah, I didn't expect that from you. Yeah. No, well, because sometimes the teen stuff that we'll have is dark, but dark is not necessarily sad. Well, it's dark. This wasn't right. necessarily dark, it was sad, because you're like, I can't believe this happened. What? Right, and it, it did was happen. real. And it's people are alive today who went through that. Oh my God. That yeah. it's just, it's also just so sad, because like, what did, who do they bother? Like, why would you, why would you do that? Right. Which is also a part of what hatred is that the rationale for it, they were not bothering anybody. Like they were, you know, who did, not even just, not Lena, her parents, whatever, who were they bothering? They decided like, you know, we gotta, we gotta murder all these people, but we're not gonna directly murder them. We're just gonna make their life so bad that they're just gonna starve to death. Yeah. That's why it, it's so sad when you realize that like, this is actually happened. And in the, you know, the modern centuries it happened. Right. Not, right, right. A, not a story from the 1100s. Exactly. So on that really pleasant note, yeah. we bid you a fond farewell, but we do hope that despite the, um, look, that's real life. And some of the books that we bring you are going to be more geared towards real life. But, you know, we'll be back with different episodes. You can always go back to a different episode. You know, go back to Phantom Tollbooth. <laughs> you know, if you just need like a palate cleanser, and then hopefully you will join us next week. Yeah. You know, we can't, we can't hide from the truth either. We have to know. But we do hope you join yeah. us next week. Catch you later, people. Cheers, cheers. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Oh My Word Podcast. Make sure you're subscribed so you always get the latest episode. And please leave us a rating and a review. And please share the show with your friends. Also, follow us on Instagram at Oh My Word Podcast. There we post episode updates, our ratings for each book, and also our personal reading recommendations. Music for the show is by Tim Burke. Editor is Emily Yaffe. We'll see you next week.